Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Brandon Bateman on the call here this evening. I really appreciate your time, Brandon. And I know kind of going out to the end of the day here, uh, a lot of people don't uh, choose this time slot. So this is this is neat. So thanks yeah, for being excited. To thanks, be for, here. <laughs> thanks for being here. So um, we're going to be talking about lead generation today. I know that's a hot topic for everybody, especially when they're trying to squeeze out every penny they can in their marketing dollar. But uh, before we do, I'm going to direct everybody to his website, batemancollective.com slash LP. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. And we're going to, it's a page within his website talking about what they do for other real estate investors. And they're very generous here. They, you can even sign up for a strategy call here right on their homepage. So appreciate your time, Brandon. Yep, of course. Excited to be here. Yeah, this is a, this is a normal time slot for me. So Hell <laughs> we, yeah. must be, we must be in different time zones. Um, but, but yeah, excited to be here and I appreciate you being flexible. No, this is, this is, that's why it's on there as a, as a choice, right? Uh, you know, you use one of those calendar service servicing applications and this is, this is great. So um, let's, let's start things off. You know, you've been in lead generation and online marketing for quite some time. And, but now you're, it sounds like you're niching a, a bit for a while in real estate. So how's that been going and what caused you to make the change? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think, uh, yeah, some of this is specific to us, but maybe there's something to learn for everybody's business here. We, we started out as a company that just did work for any industry. Um, we would do like, you know, just so we're on the same page, like pay-per-click ads, pay -click ads like Facebook ads, SEO. We would do that kind of work for a whole bunch of industries. And we ended up working with a bunch of, you know, bigger companies doing all kinds of custom work. And, and honestly, I liked it. There was one point where we ran into this company. It was kind of like smaller than we were used to working with, but they said they got a big budget and and they were doing this weird thing where they buy houses for cash and and they wanted to advertise for that. And it was just this, a little bit confusing sounds, to me. It didn't sounds crazy. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's uh, any other companies like that in the world, but but anyways, <laughs> this one at least um wanted to to do some advertising for that kind of thing. They had said that they had worked with almost every agency in this industry. And they just weren't getting um, getting much success. Um, you actually might know them. Uh, I don't know if you know Cody Hoffine um, by chance. Uh, yep. Some, some people uh, Cody's know him. been on the show a couple times. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know Cody. Yeah. So, so it was Cody's company. This is probably three and a half years ago. And so anyways, he just said like, can you, can you figure this out? Is there any way you can make this work? I, I think at the time they had done um, here in Utah, like uh, $150,000 in wholesale assignments in the previous year. So, so we took on the project and, you know, decided to apply some of the things we learned in enterprise marketing to this industry, which in a lot of ways from a digital marketing standpoint is really old. Um, like kind of like how you still do direct mail, whereas like most of the world is beyond that, not necessarily beyond like direct mail is not good. It still works great in this industry, but it's, uh, th there's a lot of, a lot of things that, uh, that are just really antiquated about the way that a lot of people are doing digital marketing in this industry. So we tried to, we tried to make it a lot better and kind of play by today's rules, not yesterday's rules. And, and we, I remember in the first year we had just about 
doubled revenue while keeping the ad spend about the same. And, and that same thing happened the following year. The next year we doubled the ad spend and about doubled the revenue as well. So that was last year. And if I remember right, he did about 1.4 million in wholesale assignments off of $275,000 in advertising spend here in Utah, including, you know, all the, all the costs associated like ad spend and management fees and stuff like that. Um, so that was kind of like the, something going on in the background throughout this whole this whole thing. Once we showed Cody that we had essentially 4X his revenue while keeping his spend the same, he started sending all kinds of people our direction, you know, other people he had worked with and whatnot. Um, and one day I really just looked back at my business and I realized about half of our clients are in real estate and half of them aren't. And the one in, in real estate are all my favorite clients. And it's the best part of the business by far in pretty much every way. And, you know, I realized that didn't know there was so much to this industry, but we could go a lot deeper. And and uh, yeah, that, that was probably about a year and a half ago that we really made that shift. Uh, and now we're in something like 70 different markets across the United States doing this kind of advertising. We're working almost exclusively with with companies just in this uh, in this real estate space, specializing in motivated seller lead generation. And I think it's an awesome industry. Really love doing the work here. So would you say that uh, your business really kind of started to take off and started to grow when you started to apply that level of focus? Definitely. Yeah. Because there's there's just so much. It, it's It's insane to me how much better you can do marketing if you're extremely specialized in a particular type of marketing for a particular industry, especially this industry where you have this like tiny little slice of the whole real estate market that is these cash deals and wholesale deals. It's... It's so interesting how different it is from from the other side of, of real estate. And we've just gotten so much better by doing it um, over and over and over again, not just because we learn how to do that and then we can do it again, but also because what we do becomes more powerful as we have more data. So we have a huge passion for data and just collecting as much as physically possible. And when you're doing A-B testing and fueling machine learning algorithms and all that kind of stuff across 70 markets, you're playing a whole different game than when you're doing that in one, five or 10 areas. So it's been, it's been insane to me um, how, how much we've been able to improve just the, the quality of what we do. Yeah. The reason I ask is that because a lot of people, when they get into real estate investing for the first time, uh, we, we have a problem with that shiny object syndrome. And we all know that whatever you focus on actually grows and you're a perfect example of that. No, I, I agree. It's, it's funny how doing less can make you so much better at it that you do significantly better. And it's funny you bring that up too, because I, uh, you know, as I grew my business, I had many mentors and consultants, things like that. And the thing that I hated that I kept on hearing over and over again was you need to be more specific about what you do. And it, it never really like clicked. And, and I always say to it because I was like, well, we're specific about the channels we do. Why does industry matter? Um, but I've seen the benefit since we've been really focused on an industry. I think, man, what, what book is it? It was uh, something by Clayton Christensen, I believe, um, where he talks about the dangers of marginal thinking. I'm not sure if you've, hmm. if you've read. I'm not familiar uh, with that one. What? Uh, I, I can't remember what the name of the book is, but, but he basically talks about the dangers of, of marginal thinking. The idea that if you're always looking at, if I did this marginally, what would it produce marginally? It ignores the whole concept of capability building in a business. And the the example, we're, we're stretching to the back of my brain here, so I apologize. This, <laughs> no, isn't, uh, this isn't 100% fleshed out. Uh, but the example he gave was, was basically with, I think it was Dell and Intel processors uh, and how they just kind of were always thinking like, what's the most profitable way to do this marginally? And it was always outsourcing. And 
what eventually happened is they they lost control and lost really that that competitive edge of the capability of building better technology and became commoditized and that's it definitely means a lot to me but it's so hard to always look at like that marginal thing you could do like in my case like that marginal client we could take that's not in real estate um, in your case maybe that one last deal where like the numbers pencil but the the cost of the focus is huge and you're never going to see that focus on your PL, mm-hmm. right the only way you'd see it is in what you're missing which that opportunity cost it's it's not a cost that shows up on the PL. and that's where we get screwed up and and i saw that in my business 100 um, just by being spread out across a lot of places uh, i don't know that i regret it because i learned so much because we did so much work across you know so many industries it's crazy how much you can learn doing something like that uh but it is not as much of a scalable business model. <laughs> I know that much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's pivot on that concept a little bit. Do you find that when you when people are doing marketing, they they kind of spread themselves a little thin? You know, I, I know everybody, like I said, is trying to wring out every penny of every dollar. And uh, I've, I found that a lot of people, you know, you, you give us a little ribbing for the, the mailings, but they'll do Uh, just a little bit of mailing and they'll do a little bit of cold calling and they'll do a little bit of online advertising and they'll do a little bit and they're not seeing a success in any of the channels because they've, they've spread things out too thin. Yeah. That, that can happen sometimes for sure. I mean, the real cost in marketing above any expense that it costs to market is in doing it wrong. That's, that's the most expensive kind of marketing, the kind where you screw it up. And that's like, I don't know. My, my opinion is that uh, one one person can only be good at so many things. So I think it's okay to be in a lot of marketing channels. If you are, you have to be working with specialists that know how to do that thing, that can really focus on that thing. If you're trying to run your own stuff across so many different channels, it's incredibly complicated. But there's no points in marketing for the guy that's in the most channels. There's there's points for the guy that actually produces the best results, and you know unless you're really like pushing the limits of a channel where you can't do more, uh, there's not much reason to expand um, outside of diversification. So, uh, I I agree with that 100%. Um, although one benefit is outsourcing any components of that makes it significantly more feasible. Because I I can tell you I've run into a lot of people like for example running their own digital marketing that just don't realize that unless they're going to make that their full-time thing and also be predisposed to be good at that and have like years of experience and understanding it just right. Like they are probably going to end up in a worse financial situation than if they just hired an expert to do it. And there's a, there's a lot of people trying to save money on marketing out there, treating it like a cost more than an investment for sure. You, you already mentioned the fact that there's a, it's hard to quantify, especially when you're into the day-to-day operations that lost opportunity. You're you're focusing on this market marketing, which is important, but frankly, you know, as investors, your skill actually might be better suited focusing on talking to distressed homeowners. Yeah. Yeah, that's true for for a lot of people. Actually, you you make me you just made me realize I got off the phone with someone probably two hours ago that has been running his own Facebook ads for his wholesale business for about two years. He says he spends between eight and 10 hours a day managing his Facebook ads, which is by the way, insane. He's, he's kind of like the Facebook ads hoarder. Like if a hoarder could exist in online advertising, like that was this guy. And if he's listening to this, I very much respect you. I'm poking fun <laughs> because it's fun. But the reason I, I pointed that out is 
what we realize is like, he's got to let go. Like he's spending so much time on that. Your ROI as a business owner focusing on acquisitions or dispositions can be so huge. If you can squeeze that last couple thousand out of each deal, or if you can close on 3% more of your leads or whatever the case is, the ROI there is so huge. And you know, it's just interesting because we work with some companies that do a thousand deals a year. We work with other companies that are trying to get their first deal and everything in between. And there's some real things you notice about some of the companies we work with that are most successful. Um, like they put their focus um, where I think it truly matters. And there's so many people that I see have these like big, big goals. They want to build that bigger company, um, but they're trapped in the details of something like sure. the marketing for one channel or something like that. So anyways, it's a, like, that was a prime example where this guy just can't scale <laughs> because he can't get enough seller appointments because he's stuck managing Facebook ads for eight to 10 hours a day. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it, it's a tough thing to, to overcome mentally for sure. Um, because we want to control everything. We want to do everything. I mean, there's, uh, I think, I think a big part of us do stuff like that knows that we're irrational, but it's doesn't mean it's easy to overcome it. Sure. So just a reminder, head over to Baton. No, it's Bateman collective.com. That's right. As slash R E L P. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes, uh, for some more information and what, what his team is doing over there. So you, you mentioned that a lot of people you've run into a lot of people that make uh, some pretty significant mistakes, especially when managing their own marketing and lead generation. What are some of those mistakes that people should avoid? Yeah, that's a, that's an extremely loaded question. So that's, a, that's, I know. that's why a, a I asked it. Pieces. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> hey, hey, no, no harm in it. It's, it's, it's an important question and uh, a definitely an interesting one. Um, I've probably in the past six months audited at least 150 different accounts of, of, you know, wholesalers, flippers, you know, doing this kind of stuff across the country. And there's some things that you see more often than others um, in terms of what kind of mistakes they're making. I think a huge mistake is lack of consistency. I see so many people basically just always trying to shift strategy without really giving a strategy a chance to work. And it creates problems. It's like, it's like you create this, this marketing strategy that doesn't really have like a beginning, a middle, an end. Um, it, do, it doesn't really have any cohesive thought behind it. And, and the problem with that is you start to base a lot of your success in marketing on luck. Um, so a lot of what we've done for clients is just coach them on this idea that you have to be, you have to be really consistent and really stable with the strategy. And you have to look at data in a really positive way. I see, it seems like there's a ton of talk out there of people saying that that entrepreneurs in general just don't have their numbers together. And there's a lot of people who don't have their numbers together. They, they just don't have the metrics to be able to make the decisions. But for every person I meet that doesn't have their numbers together, there's like three people I meet that have their numbers together and just make incredibly horrible decisions based on them because they're not data-driven, but data-blinded. Um, like for example, they assume that because you turn on PPC month one, and it doesn't produce exactly like you're hoping for in month one, that PPC doesn't work. And then they cut it and then they try to do something again. And then they try to do something different Then they try to do something different. Um, when in reality, there's an algorithm that has to learn and has to adapt um, in order to actually be functional uh, and marketing channels can take some time. It can be really simple to assume that you're data driven just because you're saying the numbers don't lie. This isn't performing. I haven't gotten a return on investment. But the real data-driven thing to do would be to look at companies that are very successful with those channels. And at that similar point, where were they? 
and make sure that you're on the right track to where you're trying to be. That would be using all of the data to paint a complete picture. And you would notice that, you know, oftentimes if month one doesn't look good, I could tell you Cody's month one didn't look good. Um, when he did over a million dollars in gross profits from digital marketing last year, he didn't care too much about his month one three years ago. Right. So there's there's a there's a lot of pieces there that you have to to be aware of. As for like getting a little bit more into the weeds, you know, like out, out of some of the mindset stuff, there's a few things that we've seen be in incredibly difficult to to manage with. Um, there's still so many people running PPC campaigns to their websites. And this is really tough because a main website has multiple purposes. If you use it like that, you want to rank on search engines. You also want to be a high converting website for that paid traffic and stuff like that. But the problem is there's different goals for each one of those things. For example, if you're trying to rank on search engines, you're going to want to have a lot of links, big navigation bar, heavy content. Sometimes that content is gonna be kind of talking in circles and it's not the most clear thing, but you just have to have a lot of content on the site. There's, you're usually, because of the structure and, and the complication of the website, you're gonna have a little bit of a slower load speed, although you want that load speed to be the best you can. Versus for paid ads, you need an absolutely amazingly quick load speed um, with the page that's coded just specifically for that. You need no navigation bar, no links. Um, you need it to be a squeeze page. The person has to have either the option of requesting a cash offer or leaving. You need to have uh, an incredibly concise call to action and much more slim on the content. Um, it's way, way different. Um, so the problem is if you have like a main website and you use it for both the purposes of SEO and say pay-per-click, uh, you end up kind of serving two masters with that site. And what you do is you don't do either one very well. So it's amazing how many clients recently, all we've done, or you know, not all we've done, but the biggest, most influential thing that we've done is just put them onto a conversion optimized landing page. And it makes all the difference with the PPC. So, so that's the one that I would say is, is really important. And I'd say it's important for Facebook ads too. There's a lot of people, I don't know if you do any of this yourself, a lot of people are running Facebook ads that are running them to lead forms on Facebook. Um, and the thing is, from a digital marketing standpoint, it looks really good because you get a lot of leads when you run leads to those lead forms on Facebook. It's basically a little form that pops up within Facebook. You fill in your information or it autofills most of the time, click submit. It's really easy. There's people that even fill out the form without noticing they did uh, because it's such a low friction process. But and, and marketers love it because you get tons of leads. But the, the tough thing is salespeople hate it because the leads are much lower quality because there's so little friction in that process. So we've tested this over and over and over again. When we run Facebook ads through a conversion optimized landing page, we get our clients get more deals off of less leads. It's a win to get less leads in the same number of deals. It would be a win to get more deals with the same number of leads, but more deals off of less leads. It's like a double win um, just by changing that. And a lot of people say, well, this doesn't work. Um, it's because they run their Facebook ads through the main website and compare that to forms and it doesn't work as well. But if you have a truly conversion optimized landing page and you compare that to Facebook forms, we have never seen it perform worst from the standpoint of an ROI. So that's something that I, I don't know why so many people are using these, these forms still, but just utilizing the landing pages um, and separating that from SEO in those couple ways is is a huge, like simple thing that a lot of people are doing wrong without even getting into the weeds for most of it. No, that's the first time I've heard anybody mention that. That's that's extremely interesting that you're better off with your pay-per-click or or your online lead generation to to send them to a squeeze page. Uh, like you said, most of the people that I've run into are doing exactly what you're suggesting is is they're directing it to their website. I mean, that that's their 
primary place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so, makes a big difference. You just have to think like, what's the what's the site for? But if you do if you do have solid A/B testing, I mean, this is one advantage that we have. Like for example, against like carrot websites, whether it be customized through Gerald Norden or in his whole credibility program, which I know a lot of people have done, or like a stock carrot site or something like that. I mean, you, we've tested these things side by side dozens of times, and without fail, a landing page works better. You know, so that, that's what the, the data seems to suggest. So, and then, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you is that you you mentioned to uh, have those analytics and, and make it data-driven, some of these data-driven decisions. I'm sure that having the landing pages and doing some A-B testing like you are, that's far easier to do with landing pages. If you throw up a, land, a one-page landing page, a squeeze page, it's easier to track some of those results. It, it definitely is. This is one benefit. It's it's it, it's kind of hard to put leads into your CRM based on their source on the website. So where a lot of people end up is they just think like, well, my website produces this kind of return on investment, but they don't know what came from SEO, what came from their TV ads that leak into the SEO, what came from pay-per-click, um, what came from Facebook ads. They don't know any of that stuff. So it, it is like kind of a, not the reason we do it, but a great little side effect that's really positive that you can have your PPC landing page and that can go into a PPC, what would you call it? Like a, a lead source in the CRM and the same with Facebook and then you know the same for SEO. And so it definitely gets your numbers a little bit more in order. So online doesn't all mesh together too much. So you you, you mentioned that uh, it's it's got to be data-driven and you're collecting this information. How, do, how have you found the ability to ingest and actually use that data? I'm, I'm sure if, if I'm speaking from personal experience here now, you know, it's, it's easy to start collecting this data. And, and I have a CRM that we collect all of these, we tag everything that comes in. Um, but in the end, I have all this information, but I've, I, I never really use it. Yeah. Yeah. Most, uh, most people don't. So it kind of depends on your personality type. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of real estate entrepreneurs aren't necessarily the person that likes to dive into a spreadsheet. It's that's why it's important. If you aren't that person to surround yourself with people like that, um, that are, that are willing to do that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of really cool ways that data is used. Um, one fun thing, um, I told you, we've been doing this in more than 70 markets, uh, for three years. Um, not all those markets for all that time, but one, one really fun thing is we have never spent a single dollar that wasn't on some type of split test. We test the heck out of everything. And the whole goal being every test has its hypothesis and, you know, you can reach that or not. And that helps you to move forward. But that's one really simple way to use data. That's my philosophy. Like I would never be the guy that just like has his direct mail list and sends his postcard to the list. I would always be sending at least like one card to half the list, another card to the other half of the list, because you're spending the same amount of money on one hand, you could be learning on the other one, not, and it doesn't have to be risky, right? Because you can just take, for example, the postcard that, you know, works well and make a slight adjustment to it that you believe would make it better, but then actually test to see if that's true. So I think of it kind of like an evolution where things slowly morph into other things and and those things tend to work better. Um, But really like the, the most exciting thing that I think is happening in digital marketing right now is goes even beyond um, what you and I well, not me, because this is what I do, uh, but, but goes beyond what most people really use uh, data for. Um, there's a lot of a lot of talk about using data for what's called inferential analytics. 
And what that means is the whole goal is to use the data and to be able to look at it and be able to understand something about the data generation process, meaning understanding that um, at least like this postcard worked better than that postcard or this ad worked better than that ad, something like that. That's how most people think of it. That's like statistics, really common stuff. Um, there's this whole other realm of data analysis. Uh, well, you can't even call it analysis, but basically use and utility of data um, called predictive analytics, which basically sacrifices any ability to inferentially say that the data was generated in a certain process, but replaces that ability of inference with an ability to predict the future in an even more powerful way. Um, which is what we want the inference for anyways. So predictive analytics are extremely powerful at predicting with high accuracy um, what can happen and, and through that being able to optimize certain outcomes. So one thing like, and I know that's that's like super like high in the sky. So to bring it down to like a practical level, one thing we're really excited about in Google ads right now is predictive analytics. Um, Google has bidding algorithms. They're called automated bidding algorithms that are basically machine learning driven algorithms that predict when someone searches on Google, the likelihood that that person becomes a lead for you. And these algorithms are fed by the data. It's it, like when we talk about data in real estate, you often think of like, oh, the data of people who are tax delinquent or whatever the case is. No, this is like first party data. Like this person, here are their characteristics. Here's what ended up happening. The kind of stuff that fuels that kind of algorithm so it can learn when someone searches, is that the kind of person that would, that would convert or not? Um, but the really tough thing you have, let's just say you're a real estate investor, you're probably spending anywhere from two up to 15 grand a month on pay-per-click ads, which in the world of Google is not that much money at all. And you don't have enough data points for the algorithm to really learn. But Google recently released the ability for us to take all of the data from all of our accounts and run it through one algorithm. So we have basically what's a nationwide campaign running, however, just one localized portion of that campaign in your advertising account. And now instead of your algorithm being fueled by your tens of thousands of dollars, it's fueled by our millions of dollars predictively. And all that data really feeds together. And it's been insane that the impact that this has had on results. So it's less about me looking at that data and saying, I noticed that on weekdays between four and 5 p.m., the likelihood of conversion increases, let's bump our bids up by 15% there. It's more about the algorithm using all of those inputs to predict. And basically the reason I mentioned this is it's not something that you have to do or look at that data. It's not even something that you can infer, but the way that these analytics get to the outcome is significantly more powerful. And a lot, like at least 80% of the ways that we're using data are through these predictive analytics, utilizing machine learning. So it's a, it's a whole different camp, really hard thing to think about, really hard to understand. But the moral of the story is it works better. So if you can do it, you should. And and that's kind of like, that's where the future is. So so that's where we focus our time. So you're, you're, you're kind of created a advertising co-op, if you will, in, in a way, all yeah. of, all yeah. of your... All of your uh, campaigns are kind of working together to help each other out. Exactly. Yeah. Because huh. markets are different, but the fact that someone's more likely to become a deal if they search that they're selling a house for cash in an area versus just selling a house is consistent across markets, right? Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of stuff like that. And the, you know, the, the piece that makes this really all come together that we do that no one else does is we track with our clients not just what generates the leads, but also what generates the deals. Because um, so many people with like platforms like PPC and Facebook ads, you have these platforms coming together 
um, to generate leads and you understand these particular actions generated leads. You understand you have that lead pool and you know from that lead pool, these leads became deals, but you never actually connect the deal to this particular advertising action that created it in the first place. And it's a mistake, I think, because some things, that's like saying all leads are created equal. All leads are not created equal, as we know. Some are better than others. Um, so, so anyways, it's, uh, it, that's essentially what we've done is collecting that data on a deeper level all across all these markets. And we've generated what is the, the largest database that exists in real estate as to what generates results when it comes to digital marketing. And it is kind of like a co-op, like, like you said, but the, the real point there being that uh, like as a company, data aggregation is like one of our core things. It's just not usually for a digital marketing company. Um, but I think that's, I think that's how like the companies that are going to be succeeding most in digital marketing as we move forward in real estate, that's the kind of stuff they're going to be doing. Just the way that the algorithms work, the way the industry works, the way that the bar is raising, you have to get a competitive edge in order to be profitable. It's like, I believe that's absolutely necessary. Um, so that's why we focus so much on it. So, you know, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, I try to hire a company uh, to do this for me and, and my experience was poor to say the least. And, and what I found that, you know, you have these large, these some companies that they're large and they, they threw me in the same pool because they, they didn't have any experience with real estate investors. Uh, so I got stuck being, a, they saw me as a realtor and it, it, <laughs> it was disaster to say the Is that least. Different? Boy, you're going to, you're, you're pounding on that beehive now, aren't you? What questions, if somebody decided, okay, you've convinced me, I got to get some help doing this. What questions should they ask of, of a provider? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. You want to make sure that you work with someone that works with the kind of companies like you. And that that happens in a few different ways. Industry specific is a no-brainer because because you have this tiny industry. Anytime you're like the big industry, you don't have to worry about it as much. Um, but anytime you're like 2% of the total deals in real estate, you really got to think about that because you'll end up with a bunch of the other stuff. And I think that sounds like that's what happened to you. Um, so so industry specific is really important. You also want to work with a company that matches like where you are as a company. Um, you can like, like for example, in the digital marketing space in real estate, there's a bunch of companies that are good at working with like the guy that's, you know, wanting to do his first few deals or something like that. Um, and that's not, uh, it, it's a whole different kind of way of running digital marketing strategies and everything than the person who wants to like dominate the market and push volume. Uh, and has a much larger budget and different companies specialize in different things. You know, of all the companies I know, we probably specialize the most in working with larger investors. And if you're one of those larger investors and you work with the company that's used to working with small investors, you're going to be very frustrated. If you're one of those companies that is, or that uh, if you're a very small investor and you work with us, you're likely to be frustrated just because you're likely to not want to spend that much money every month. Um, you're likely to want to, to utilize different strategies. Um, so there's, I'd say you want a lot of fit on there and you really just got to make sure that you're working with a company that knows their stuff. That's the, the really tough thing. Also, if, if you don't really know how to evaluate on that level, I think like, honestly, the best thing to do is just find people you trust and who they use and who they've had success with and trust that because anybody can blow smoke. You're never going to really know someone's expertise compared to someone else, but 
if you just kind of follow what you know is a proven path to success, someone who can actually like demonstrate results and you know people um, successfully working with them, I think that's really important. Um, and on that note, if anybody wants to, to learn more about what we do, I'm, I'd be more than happy to look at something as simple as our Facebook friends. And usually with just about anybody in this industry, we can look through our Facebook friends and find a couple mutual ones um, that are our clients and they can talk to those people. Um, but it's important to just make sure that they're pre-vetted, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I can't say enough about building that network and, and asking for referrals. It's it's probably the best way to get, get things done. So let's let's start. Let's you know, I, I'm not gonna take up too much more of your time. I've already I've already consumed more than half an hour and, and I promised I was only gonna take about 30 minutes. But let's say you are you it is somebody who's still struggling, they're they're starting off. And they want to dip their toes, if you will, in into online marketing, but they're going to be, they're forced to do it themselves. What do you think they should focus on and what should be their first volley into this online marketing and lead generation? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Things that you can do with very small budgets. Um, I can tell you the most small budget friendly platform is Facebook ads by far. PPC eats small budgets, so it's uh, you might be disappointed. So we don't usually recommend PPC for, for budgets that are small versus if you look at our largest clients, they tend to spend the vast, vast majority of their budget on PPC because um, it changes a little bit. So I'd say like my go-to recommendation for, for smaller companies would be Facebook. And with that, there's a few things you can do. I'd say if you're not going to go through the entire work of getting it done right and set it up and everything... I honestly don't think that dabbling in any marketing channel is a good idea because it's an investment. Um, so while you can do things extremely cost-effectively, like Facebook, the minimum budget for Facebook ads is a dollar a day. You can literally go into Facebook and spend $30 a month on ads if you want to. I just don't recommend it at all because it's just not likely to, to be worth your time. Um, so, so my honest advice is focus on other things until you're ready to do it right. My opinion of what it takes to do it right is at least like for digital marketing in general is at least $3,000 a month in ad spend with at least six months of timeline for it. For a lot of people, that's basically one deal. It's nothing, it's nothing too insane, but I think you, I think it can seem like you're wasting less money if you're doing like little bits here and there and kind of dabbling. People end up wasting a lot more money dabbling than they do just following a proven process and executing on a really high level for a marketing channel. Because like I said, the most expensive marketing is the one that doesn't work. The one that costs a lot, but works isn't expensive because it pays for itself. The one that costs even a very small amount that you're just dabbling, but doesn't work right, costs more. So mm -hmm. I, would, I would avoid that personally, until you're just really, really ready to do it right. I think that there's some other channels that are really like if you if you just really can't spend something like three thousand a month on marketing, there's plenty of other channels where you can go a little bit lower on budgets. One really famous one would be like cold call, for example, where it could be extremely inexpensive if you're willing to just pick up a phone and call people. Of course, I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, but you could do that. There's a lot of people that do it, and in yeah. fact, you know that when you say the cheapest way to do any kind of marketing, I mean I just got a copy of the local white pages in the mail the other day. I mean, the, a lot of the people that you're targeting are likely still have landline phones. So it is a good place to start if that's, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, there you go. That's a, that's an interesting option. I don't know that I've 
that I've discussed white pages ROI with anyone before. Um, you have to tell me how that one goes. I could see I could see it working on to some extent, but the point being, marketing even if it's cheap, if not done right, is extremely expensive compared to marketing done well. That's more expensive. So I know that is a really confusing string of words together, um, but but that's uh, that's my belief. You'll probably find someone who disagrees, but <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. Well, for the uh, purpose of this this discussion, you're the expert, so everybody's got to listen to you. That's right. Yeah, I should uh, I should take advantage of that for sure. So again, uh, BatemanCollective.com/relp, and uh, this has been a really great conversation. And you can probably tell I probably could keep this going, but um, in the end, uh, I, I warned you it was coming. Is there a question you wished I would have asked, or is there a topic you wish we would have covered here today? Yeah, that one stumped me uh, 30 minutes ago when you warned me about it, <laughs> um, and it, and it stumped me right now. Here's the basically the 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 biggest uh, takeaway here. I think I think that you mentioned um, looking at the the website that we do the the free strategy call. Um, if anyone here, like, there's a couple of categories you could fall into. Um, so I guess the question I wish you would have asked would be like, how can you help someone on the, you know, that listening to this? Um, number one, if you're one of the many real estate investors who have spent money on digital marketing, but it hasn't produced the results that you were hoping for, um, I'd love to add some serious value to that. What we can do is it's called an audit and we dig into all of your data and hopefully understand where things are broken. Because the thing is people often just realize this was broken because I didn't produce an ROI. There's a whole bunch of pieces along there, like how much money you spent, how much went to management fees versus ad spend, how many impressions you got, how many clicks you got, how many conversions you got, how many of those conversions were qualified, how many became appointments, how many became contracts, deals, revenue from those deals. There's all these metrics that make it up. And if you have a problem, that problem exists somewhere on that funnel. So we can do an audit. And what we do in the audit is we identify the part of your funnel that's broken and what are the actions that could be used to remedy that. Because if you never understood what you did wrong, you'll never know how to fix it. So there's that. Um, if you want to avoid making those mistakes and having those problems, I'm also more than happy to, to figure out what channels actually make sense for your situation. There are so many marketing channels online, so many different types of strategies and everything. I'd be, be more than happy to dig into the details of that um, with anyone that wants to, to talk about some some of the different options you have and how you can just make sure that you mitigate your risk based on making smart decisions at the beginning of the digital marketing journey, not after you realize you messed up. So again, this was uh, Brandon with Bateman Collective. I really appreciate your time. I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime, but uh, this was a great conversation. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.